Test. Testing. One. One. Testing. Testing. One. Two. Bitches. You can run. You can hide. Take a walk on the weird side. It goes up in the night. Take a walk on the weird side. You can't trust the living. You can't kill the dead. You can't stop the voices inside your head. You can't run. You can't hide. Take a walk on the weird side. Well, welcome back, weirdos. Welcome back, everybody. I'm Hannah. And I'm Taylor. And together we are Weird Side Side Podcast. Podcast. Today's episode is a bit of a touchy one, so I wanted to give a heads up about that. This case that we will be discussing on this episode is a case that has made history, and it's especially touching for people in our community because this case happened in Blacksburg, which is local for us. The case that we'll be discussing today is the Virginia Tech Massacre, which occurred 16 years ago. But before we get into today's topic, we'd like to give our announcements and our usual shout-outs. Our first announcement is, unfortunately, I'm going to be sharing some news from a couple of people that I work with, one of their family members. He was suddenly diagnosed with cancer, although he's been battling this sickness for probably, I think, around a year or so now is what I read about. And recently, he was informed that he has weeks, if not months, left to live. And it's just, it's horrible to even say those words out loud. It just doesn't even feel right saying that. But that was the news that the doctor told him as of recent. He's also got children and his first grandchild is on his or her way. And he's fighting to make it until he can at least meet his grandchild before, you know, his time here is is over with for now. But I'm going to be sharing the GoFundMe link. Even if you have nothing to donate to this family monetarily, they're asking for prayers. And if anything, you could send a prayer or good thought their way. I mean, just imagine, you may not know this family, but just imagine your brother or your husband or your dad getting some kind of news like this. Well, sir, you have, if you're lucky, weeks left to live. I mean, imagine how awful that would be. I can't, I can't even imagine. Yeah, so I'll be sharing the GoFundMe link, and I know that the family members that I work with that he's related to, they are such wonderful people, and I love working with them so much. But even if I didn't know who they were, like I said, it's just something awful, a horrible piece of news to be given. So again, please keep that family in your thoughts and prayers, and check out their GoFundMe page. The second announcement that I would like to give out is another one that's really, really sad, but A woman named Crystal Candler, hopefully I said her name right, we all know how I am with announcing names. She was a member of our community and she died of a sudden aneurysm recently. Her funeral, I think, was yesterday. We heard about this case and this scenario originally from a family member of ours who must have heard about this case or known Miss Crystal themselves. But just so heartbreaking, what we had heard was that Crystal's daughter found her and even, I mean, just... That enough is, can you just imagine walking in to find your mom, deathly ill, maybe not responding at all, but it's even more darker than that. Crystal was pregnant. They did manage to deliver the baby, but they had to do that via C-section, and Crystal had no brain activity when her baby was delivered, but she did have a baby boy. She was also an organ donor, so, you know, as awful as that is... She helped save eight lives because she was an organ donor. Something so dark at least had some kind of positive in it, but it's just still so, so sad. 
I'm going to be reading just a little bit from her GoFundMe page. It says, I know everyone has been wondering how Crystal is or what happened. I'm so sorry I haven't responded. I honestly haven't processed things myself, so explaining it isn't easy. Crystal was 35 weeks pregnant and had been having complications with blood clots. She was taking shots to help control the clots. Crystal had been complaining of a severe headache Saturday night. Long story short, she was found Sunday morning unresponsive. She had flown to Roanoke, where she had an immediate C-section. Maddox was born and is doing great. Crystal has a major brain bleed, and all tests are showing no brain activity. Heartbroken doesn't begin to explain how everyone feels. We've been together since the age of two. Prayers for the following days and months, especially for Lily and Ashlyn, who I'm assuming are her other children as well. So, so sad. Like I said earlier, her funeral was yesterday, May 1st. And she had her service at First Methodist Church in Parisburg. I just cannot imagine the pain that this family is going through right now. I can't imagine either. Like, to lose someone you love so much. We try to look at the positives. We have a beautiful baby boy named Maddox. Mm-hmm. And eight lives were saved. Yes. That's, that's that's a good thing. I mean, I, I feel so bad that Crystal was taken so suddenly and that she was a family member who abruptly got ripped and children got their mom taken from them. It's just awful, but please, please, please also keep this family in your prayers. I will also be sharing their GoFundMe pages. If you have anything to donate at all, it would be greatly appreciated. In other news, there are still no updates on the Chihuahua case from Pulaski. I'm sure you guys have... Taylor just shook his head at me like no surprise. We talked about the case in our last episode, but essentially someone freaking tied this poor chihuahua up and threw it in a dumpster in the back of Ollie's in Pulaski. We still don't know who did it or who's responsible for it, and I do believe it's still under investigation, but PETA is offering a $5,000 reward for any information that will lead to the arrest of somebody. I mean, how cruel can you be? It's so easy to take a dog that you can't take care of or don't want anymore to a shelter or i'm sure there would be wonderful homes that you could find this is not somebody that couldn't take care of the dog this is somebody with malice intent absolutely so i hope that somebody knows something and speaks up about it because this guy or this girl needs to go down for that that's just that is not okay and there needs to be some justice served on that amen in some positive news Our walk for our little cousin Sutton was this past Saturday, and we all had a great time going and supporting members of our community with Down Syndrome. Our team won most people in the group for Team Sutton, so that was really cool. But you know, at the end of the day, it's not about awards and prizes. It's just about coming together as a community and raising awareness. It was a pretty fun time, but that was just something exciting to announce. Getting back into Virginia Tech, and also, by the way, guys, I'm probably going to mispronounce Cho's name frequently because before I did research for this podcast, I always pronounced his name Chow. So if you hear me alternate between the two, it's unintentional and I apologize. But getting back into Virginia Tech is very impactful, especially for me, because we live about 30 minutes from Blacksburg, give or take. And I was nine when this all happened and I have vague memories of it. I do remember certain things, especially because my family was freaking out because I think at the time one of my aunts actually worked for Virginia Tech at the time. And your dad currently and my brother-in-law, your brother, Mm -hmm. old Whiskey, they both currently work at Virginia Tech as well. Mm -hmm. Now at the time that this shooting occurred, I was still living in North Carolina. I was in middle school. I think I was probably in seventh grade or something like that. But I still remember it and just how impactful that it was. Honestly, to me, it felt like 
a similar reaction or feelings that I felt when I first heard of 9-11. I'm not really sure why I felt that way over both of those incidents because they were both different, but I do remember that in 9-11 when I first heard of it in the news, I remember just such a strong sense of sadness for everybody around us. And I was too young to really understand what was really going on, but I knew something bad had happened and something really sad. And fast forwarding in time to when I heard of the Virginia Tech shooting, I remember seeing it on the news and just like 9-11, it was on the news everywhere. People were talking about it. And I just remember feeling the same type of way. I didn't really, even though I was older, I was in middle school at this time versus at 9-11, I was still in elementary school, but I still felt that sense of sadness. I knew something bad had happened and that a lot of people were sad. And I also remember thinking Virginia is just a state away from me because at the time I lived in North Carolina and I remember that being like a holy crap. I definitely feel the same way about it. Unlike you, I actually don't remember 9-11 like at all. But to be fair, I was four. I do forget that you are a couple years younger than me. Uh, I was four at the time, so I don't remember that one. And even Virginia Tech, I was nine, about to be ten. I still don't remember a lot. What do you remember about it? Very vague things. Very like everybody. I'm, I'm going to be completely honest with you. I'm pretty sure I didn't watch the news. I'm pretty sure like either mom or dad just sat me in front of a TV or like sat me in front of like a not news TV. And I just watched movies. Yeah. Because they, they just didn't talk about it. I just remember hearing about there was a concern because one of my aunts worked there. But she was fine. Were you like me? Like, did you not really understand what was going on, but you just had this sense that something was wrong? I never understood it until years later when someone explained it to me. Like, I knew there was a shooting, but, like, it just didn't register to me as a kid of how bad it was until later on when I was old enough to, like, comprehend and understand everything. Yeah, it's it's a really touching case. So, like I said, I just want to give a heads up for anybody who's listening just to proceed with caution. Basically, the Virginia Tech massacre was a mass shooting that occurred in 2007, April 16th, 2007. The 16th anniversary has recently passed. A young man named Sing Hee Cho. Sung Hee Cho? Me and Taylor both have tried over and over again to remember how to say his name. We're so bad with names. We apologize. Just pronunciations are so difficult. Maybe it's because we're so hick. I don't know. I don't don't know. (laughs) I'm just going to be referring to him as Cho by his last name, but full name was Sung Hee Cho. He was a former Virginia Tech student. He shot and killed 32 students, and including some professors, on campus in a mass shooting on April 16, 2007. This was on Virginia Tech University campus. It is the deadliest school shooting in U.S. history. Still holds that title today. Really? Yes, it still holds that title today. It was considered the deadliest one-man shooting rampage in the United States, and it was considered the deadliest mass shooting in the United States. But sadly, this was preceded by the 2016 Orlando nightclub shooting. Really? I didn't know that, that it actually held that for so long until that horrible thing in 2016. Right. I mean, like, we don't say these facts, like, as something to personally challenge, obviously. But it's just to show how impactful this crime was. And it makes me very sad that, actually, we have beat some numbers on this case. That's very sad. Very, very sad. So how do we get from point A to point B? How do you go from having a college campus uh, supposed to be a safe environment for people to grow, to get their education, to start their lives, 
And how do you go from being in an environment like that to suddenly fighting for your life? If I had to guess by anything, and I don't mean to be offensive by this, mental problems. Definitely. Definitely mental problems. And with the mention of that, I think that actually can be seen, uh, once again, unfortunately, in other shootings, school shootings that we have seen, both before and after Virginia Tech shooting. Especially with Sandy Hook and then the recent shooting that happened at the elementary school. Where was that at in Texas? It was in uh, Texas. All of them have mental health issues. Absolutely. I mean, I mean, we, we've seen it working in a jail. I mean... A lot of people that need help with how they feel or, you know, mentally. And a lot of these places are closing and we're moving away from it. Yeah, And there's there's no shame in saying, hey, I need help. I think now we're getting a bit better about the stigma against mental health. But it's absolutely true. You're right. I mean, I would say half the inmates at our jail, maybe even more, have severe mental health problems. And I'm not trying to associate mental health issues with violence by any means, but I'm just saying we can't deny that there's a connection there between the topic we're getting ready to discuss and mental health issues. Untreated. Yeah, I was about to say untreated. Certain ones, not all, can contribute to violence. Can. Yes. But Cho was born in South Korea on January 18th, 1984. His family members and himself, were from originally from South Korea. But his family members that stayed in South Korea after he and his family moved over to the United States, which, by the way, I think he was around eight years old when they, the family had moved over to this country. But right. even some of the family members in South Korea, after the shooting, they had said that they had always had concerns about his behavior from a young age. Like, they say things like, he rarely ever spoke, he didn't show much affection, never made eye contact. I mean, if you were to see this in a young child, not to immediately say, oh, you're going to grow up to be a school shooter. Clearly, you wouldn't say that. But if you have a child and you're noticing these signs, I think it is unbiased to say that something's not right. Mm -hmm. So even at a young age, his family was like, he's just odd. Right. And again, not trying to say that if you're different or odd that you're going to become a mass shooter. We're not saying that. But... Some signs were kind of there from the early stages. And just because nothing was immediately done on it right then and there, that's no fault to anybody. We're not blaming fault. And like I said, the family moved to the United States when Cho was eight. And eventually they lived in Centerville, Virginia, which is Fairfax County, and it's near Washington, D.C. During his school years, meaning from elementary to high school, Cho began to exhibit even more signs of mental health issues. He was reportedly bullied a lot. What I found interesting was that he apparently performed well in elementary school, but he would throw tantrums at home about having to go to school, and he frequently stated that he never wanted to go back to school. I think that's a little interesting and kind of unique, because if you hated that environment so bad, but yet you were excelling at it academically, that... Do you think it might have not had anything to do with academic-wise? Maybe it was just other people? Especially you just said he, he got bullied. So what right. makes me think is it had nothing to do with academics. True. It had to do with being around people you don't want to be around for, what, six hours a day? And I guess, not to make a joke of it, but I guess that can be kind of said about the workforce, too. Like in real life as adults, you may go to a job that 
Well, fortunately for me and you, we, we're not in this scenario, but I'm sure many people go to jobs that they absolutely hate, but they probably perform surprisingly well to be surrounded by people that annoy them or in a place that they just aren't happy in. Yeah, yeah. Again, that's kind of weird to point out, but, you know, our minds do wander, and I definitely try to think about things maybe a little bit too much in depth, but just something that kind of stands out. Yeah. Chow was diagnosed with severe anxiety disorder around the time that he was in school. Definitely by the time he was in high school, he was diagnosed with severe anxiety disorder, selective mutism, and major depressive disorder. And this was actually all in middle school. What is selective mutism? I've, I've never heard of that. I'm glad you asked. Selective mutism is a form of a social anxiety disorder where a person gets so stressed out by being around certain things or certain people that they go mute or they won't speak. I think that really does enforce the idea that he didn't like school for the academics. It was, it was people. Yeah, I think that's fair to say. So by middle school, he was diagnosed with these mental health issues. That's, that's really early. Very. Charles started to receive therapy, and he was given special education support for his disabilities. So that is a good thing. I'm glad they got to it really early. Right. I mean, he was diagnosed with these issues in middle school, and his family was on the ball about trying to go ahead and get him to a therapist. And the school had recognized these issues he was having and tried to accommodate to them and work with him on them that's that's really good i'm glad they got they try to get him help that early because unfortunately for a lot of kids and young adults sometimes they don't get that help right and i think it's just important to touch up on this because we're going to be talking more throughout as we progress in this case but a lot of people talk about how cho did not receive treatment for his mental health issues and that was why he did what he did which honestly that's not quite I personally don't agree with that wholeheartedly. I think there is some level of truth to it, but it's not completely true because as we have seen and how we've discussed so far, people did recognize that he was struggling mentally at an earlier age and they did try to help him at that point in time. It's, it's kind of interesting that they did catch it that early and they actually did try to help him, but by the time he gets to college, and I'm sure you'll explain a lot more either apparently either stopped going to therapy or, you know, they kind of might have dropped the ball a little bit about that. Yeah, we'll get to that in a little bit. Yeah, I just, I, I don't want to skip too much, but, you know, <laughs> I, I do know I do know that was part of it. Yeah, but we'll, we'll get to that here shortly. But okay. also during his early years of high school, this is where it starts to become quite troublesome. Oh. Chow was first introduced to the Columbine Massacre during his time in high school. And he began to idolize Eric Harris and Dylan Claybold. Chow wrote an assignment implying that he wanted to repeat the Columbine Massacre. When the high school was made aware of this, they contacted Cho's sister, who was also used as a translator for her parents. Because Cho's sister was, she did speak English, but his parents did not speak very much English at all, I don't think. And Cho's parents sent him to a psychiatrist. So, once again, this is something like is really troublesome and I think is a really big red flag. I, I mean I gotta agree with you on that one. Like I can only imagine like we don't have children yet, but imagine we get a call from the school that says that our son or daughter wrote a paper and the staff of the school was really concerned because in that paper our child was idolizing two killers, two mass shooters who created a travesty. Now, was was she around his age? 
kind of close? Um, I think this sister was older, but I'm not, I don't think very much. I'm really honestly not sure, but I know she was. That that definitely had to be hard on her. Yeah. No, I I don't know for sure, but I'm pretty sure she was a little bit older. Oh, okay. Okay. But yeah, so I can only imagine what his parents must have felt like too. But again, we see that once they were informed of this information, they did send him to a psychiatrist. That's, That's good. That's really good. So transitioning into Virginia Tech. Cho's parents didn't want Cho to move so far away, but he did it anyway. Federal law, and listen up on this one, guys. This is important. All right. Federal law prohibited Cho's former high school from releasing records pertaining to Cho's mental health to Virginia Tech without Cho's permission. Virginia Tech knew nothing of his mental health background upon admission into the school. Why? Laws at the time. I think... Again, mental health is not really my expertise. One of the things that we have learned from this case, I think, is the importance of this. And it's just really hard to get around HIPAA laws and rules. But I think now we have laws that would enable somebody to transfer those records. Or, you know, you can't share any health information without the patient's permission. But I'm sure there is something that has been done since then where... God forbid there was another scenario where a new student had a history of mental health issues that the school would be informed of if they're bad enough. I, I do see where they're coming from, from HIPAA. I, I totally get that. But also that is very important, especially now. And, and as much as I truly hate to say this, as common, and I hate saying that word. That, I don't know if, if you feel this way, but mm-hmm. I feel like mass shootings are common now. Like they once are. a month. Nowadays, especially now, whereas, you know, back then, obviously shootings were a thing, but not as much, I feel. That is very important. It is. Very, very important. Right. And I think, you know, getting off topic just for a second, I think this is why I hear the argument a lot that there needs to be more mental health evaluations done on people who purchase guns. And, I mean, I don't think that that's wrong at all. That's honestly a tough subject. I'm going to be completely honest with you. I mean, it really, really is. I, can see, I try to see both parts. I think we, we both are. I really try. And here I'm, I'm, a, I'm not going to get into that. Cause that's, no, because here on Weird stuff. Side, we do not get into no, politics on no, Weird no, Side. No, 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 no. But I see both sides of the argument. I do, too. But by senior year, Cho was an English major, and he seemed to enjoy writing. His writings, however, disturbed many students and many faculty members. One example... Chow wrote another paper for an intro to short fiction class that he was in, and he wrote about a mass school murder, probably once again inspired by Columbine, but ultimately the main character decided not to follow through with it. The Virginia Tech panel was unaware of this paper. Chow was also socially awkward and inappropriate with females, too. So in addition to his disturbing writings, which we will be reading some excerpts from some of them, and I will also be giving a trigger warning when we do that, He's also awkward with people. So you combine those two things yet again. Someone who writes really disturbing things and then is also awkward with people, that doesn't really send a good message. No, it does not. No, it does. And, and again, I don't think then people looked at it as much as they do now. And I think the reason they look at it as much now as instead of then was because of what he did. Yeah. Because I... I when I was in high school, there was a play. I did acting, for anybody that doesn't know, in high school. 
they wanted to do a play and the play was actually about kids in a school that's actively in a school shooting yeah that's a little eh, cringe it, it is a little cringe but it was actually a really good play because it was very serious in tone and it was about how people react to tragedy yeah and i remember I, i'll always remember this the principal nicked it and said we're not doing that that is highly inappropriate and I think somebody in the class asked, why is it inappropriate? And he gave Virginia Tech as one of those reasons. Yeah. So, I mean. And it's understandable. Yeah. But some examples of some socially awkward things that he's done, that Cho did in his class. Well, he was accused of stalking by two different females. Although these females did go to the police, they ultimately did not file charges. Cho was caught taking pictures of girls' legs and under their skirts while in class. He would do this by putting his phone under the school desk and just snapping pictures. And he got caught doing it, which is even more awkward and cringe. This comes a little bit later uh, before the shootings happen and kind of leading up. But at one point, Cho paid an escort in Roanoke to spend time with him in a hotel room. The escort says that she did some dances for him. And at one point, Cho attempted to get on top of her, but she pushed him off and he did not try again. I'm wondering if this might be a form or a, him expressing some sexual frustration. And he also had writings that indicated this as well. I don't think that I printed off the material to share on the episode or not. But I know that I myself personally read a, a story that Cho had written in his English class. You did? Yes. And it was really disturbing. It was basically about... A guy who had this girlfriend, and he it was just describing how he lusted after her, and it just honestly it was kind of all over the place, so it's hard to say what it really was about. But I do mm-hmm. remember it being really awkward, and I definitely caught a sense of some sexual frustration. In I that. definitely wouldn't like it if it was awkward because you know, awkwardness is my one true weakness. Oh yeah, it's it's kind of cringe. Like I think in this story. Cho's character is like wanting to make out with the girl, but can't get into it or something like that. I I, honestly, I don't want to tell you guys wrong because it's been so long since I've read this document, but it it was, it was disturbing and and odd. I I do, I do have one quick question, not to, not to backtrack or anything. Mm -hmm. When he was uh, taking pictures and doing those things, was that in middle school or high school? College. Oh, it was actually college. In his classes, yeah. Oh, okay. I don't know why I thought it was... Oh, no, it's okay. It was earlier than that. Yeah. No, this is all in college. Mm. But eventually, Cho made a suicidal comment in front of his roommate after an incident where he was warned by the police to quit contacting one of the females that he was stalking. And this led to his psychiatric hospitalization. So this is like the second time they've shipped him out somewhere? Yes. Oh. Although... Before in the past, now actually this would be the first time they shipped him out somewhere. Oh, okay. Earlier when he had to see a psychiatrist, I think that was kind of done on a on a outpatient basis. Oh, okay, my bad. I'm this sorry. was his first time being involuntarily. Oh, I got you. Well, again, I don't want to use that word because it's very important in the future when we discuss voluntary versus involuntarily. So. I'm going to back up and not say involuntarily, but basically 
court ordered. Didn't have much of a choice. Yeah, essentially. Yeah. So the TDO, which is Temporary Detaining Order, it was issued and enforced on December 13th of 2005. I have the TDO order right here. Ooh. Yes. And it is from the Virginia Tech Police Department. Victim, Commonwealth of Virginia, offense, mental TDO, slash ECO. And it's interesting to see this because I, again, I work at a jail and at least one that has TDO orders for mental evaluation. It looks very similar to the reports that we used to have to write. Mm-hmm. Like just, just looking at it in here, like it looks very similar. Yeah. Yeah. I've never seen an actual report for it, but it's written for Tuesday, December 12th, 2005, 1909. The report says, on 12-13-2005, at approximately 19.09 hours, I, Officer Lucas, received a phone call from Andy Koch. Hopefully I said that right. Once again, like Taylor and I have already said, we butcher names. Sorry if we butcher names. <laughs> Unintentionally. In reference to case number 050944, Andy advised that Mr. Cho had sent him an instant message earlier today saying that he was thinking about killing himself. Andy advised that Mr. Cho was back in his room at this time, located at room 3032 Cochrane Hall. At that time, Officer Weaver and I responded to Cochrane Hall to speak to Mr. Cho. Upon arriving, we met with Mr. Cho, who was sitting at his desk. We introduced ourselves to Mr. Cho and asked if he was doing okay. Mr. Cho seemed to be shy or down about something. I asked Mr. Cho if he knew why we were there, and he said no. I asked Mr. Cho if he knew Andy Coke, and he said, yes, we are friends. I asked Mr. Cho about the instant message he had sent to Andy regarding him hurting or killing himself, and he said that he was joking. We tried to obtain more information from Mr. Cho, but he would not give much of a response. We asked Mr. Cho if he would come with us to the Virginia Tech PD to speak to a counselor, and he came willingly. So once again, earlier I had said, I don't want to use the words involuntarily or voluntarily because I don't want to be technically incorrect. But this is what the report says, continuing on. Miss Kathy Gobby, with access, interviewed Mr. Cho and decided that he needed to go to a medical facility. Miss Gobby was able to obtain a TDO from Magistrate Eleanor Williams. Miss Gobby was able to get Mr. Cho committed to NRVMC St. Albans. I transported Mr. Cho to the Blacksburg Annex to pick up the TDO and then transported him to the NRV St. Albans. Upon arrival at St. Albans, I released Mr. Cho to Sabrina Blankenship Security. Lieutenant Albert contacted Miss Tricia Smith the administrator on call for residential life in reference to this situation. Now, just not, not to interrupt, but just listening to you read that, he said he was joking, but I feel like that person wouldn't have uh, done that, sent him there, if she didn't think there was some merit behind it. Right, and that's what he would say with the girls that he was stalking, too. Like, anything he was confronted about, oh, I was just joking. That's actually, I feel like, a very common like response and i know and i just oh i hate when people say that because you know sometimes people genuinely do joke about things but let's be honest nine times out of ten when people do something that's pretty serious whether that be an action or a comment and then they say oh i was just kidding they're most likely not oh they meant it they meant it i I, I find it odd that he didn't want to talk to the police officers actually no i actually i understand some people don't like to talk to the police and maybe he felt more comfortable speaking with a counselor Maybe that's that's what I'm thinking. He has had experience with seeing a psychiatrist, but okay, so that but, makes sense. But you have to remember too; he has that selective mutism. True, and true. he's pretty socially awkward. So 
yeah. I wonder how his friend feels, like, opening up a text message from your roommate saying, I think I'm going to kill myself. Yeah, like, you you don't play around about that. I mean, I would think, and I I think this is true, but I would like to think that if someone saw a message like that, that people would take that seriously and contact authorities or somebody. Like, I personally know in the past, you know, obviously I'm not going to say who it is, but, and honestly, I don't even think I really remember for sure who it was, but I even had someone in my own Facebook feed who one time made a very, it was basically a suicide note on her Facebook, and People immediately jumped on that, and I was reading the comments in it because when I first saw it, I mean, I kind of like, what do I do? And my instinct was to call the police. Yeah, absolutely. But then I, I, you know, I started clicking on the comments, and I saw that there were already many others who had jumped on it before I even saw it. And I was reading in the comments, and the police were called, and they did arrive at her house, and they got there in time. I'm glad. Me too. Can you also imagine being a police officer? Uh, you said this was in December of 2005? Yeah. Being that police officer two years, almost like a year and a half later when he does what he does. Because I'm assuming that cop might have still worked there. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure he remembers him. Oh, like, my how gosh. eerie that would be. Like, you would never forget. Yeah. Like, like looking back on it today, you would never forget. No, absolutely not. I also have his documents from where he was at St. Albans. And you may be thinking, well, Hannah, how would you have access to that? Because you just talked about HIPAA. Well, I have access to it because this this was a case that the FBI got on. And there are certain documents that are available from the FBI that the public can see. And this is one of them. So on some of his report from while he was at St. Albans, it says, Identifying Info. A 21-year-old single male Korean descent who was admitted to my service on a temporary detention order. Chief complaint, quote, it was all a joke. No, it wasn't. No, it wasn't. History of present illness. According to the available information, a complaint was lodged with Virginia Tech Police regarding patient instant messaging a dorm resident. Apparently, he had been told by this girl not to instant message her anymore. The message was left on the erase board outside the girl's room. Patient claims that he did not leave this message. However, he became upset at being accused about leaving these instant messages and the message on the erase board outside the girl's room. Later, he told his sweetmate that he may as well kill himself because, quote, everybody just hates me. He did not have any plan or intent to hurt himself. The sweetmate contacted Virginia Tech Police, who further proceeded with a mental health evaluation, and he was TDO'd here. On presentation, he denies any suicidal ideation or homicidal ideation, He denies any prior history of depression, anxiety, psychosis, or delusions. There is no indication of substance abuse. Mental status exam. The patient was casually groomed. He was oriented times three. Speech showed increased latency due to anxiety that he was experiencing, and he came across as somewhat scared of the whole process. He mentally denies any psychosis, delusions, or suicidal or homicidal ideation. Cognitive exam is within normal limits. Fund of knowledge is average. Attention and concentration appear to be adequate. There is no indication of psychosis, delusions, suicidal ideation, or homicidal ideation. Hospital course. The patient spent overnight in the hospital. Essentially, it does not appear that he had any serious intent when he made the suicidal statement. It appears to be more an act of frustration. He was counseled about the need to act responsibly and the fact that in his adult life, his actions will be followed by consequences. He seems to receive that message fairly well. Seems to be remorseful and apologetic about this situation leading up to this point. Now, the thing that stuck out to me the most on this report 
and I'm not even at the end of it yet, there is no diagnosis or condition listed on this paperwork. None. Earlier, he even denied having anxiety. Yeah. But he knows he does. There's he not was diagnosed even, in middle school. I do not even see mention of his selective mutism, of his anxiety, like anything on here. But again, we got to remember, remember, his records from high school were not transferred over to Virginia Tech. So technically, they didn't know. And if this is his initial evaluation, they have no baseline. They don't know. But there's no diagnosis on this paperwork. His disposition reads, condition at discharge. It is recommended that patient follow up in counseling. I'm going to read that one more time because that's very important. It is recommended that patient follow up in counseling. We're going to go ahead and do just a quick ad break for our local business shout outs. Give us a minute to kind of get our minds in a brighter spot. So we will be back momentarily. We'll be right back, everybody. Do you enjoy supporting local businesses? I knew I do. Well, I certainly do, too. Is it product plug time? It sure is, because we hope you guys said yes to that, too. Well, our first local business we'll be giving a shout-out to is Grace Upon Grace Creations. Grace Gracie. <laughs> I don't know if you guys listened in our last episode, but they were doing a gift card raffle. They were doing kind of like a poll or survey, and they recently announced their winner for that. The winner is a Miss Jessica Gravely, which is awesome. And all you had to do was just share some input, and that girl got her a free $25 gift card. In addition to that, Grace Upon Grace is continuing to thrive, posting their clothing products that they're coming out with. They're also doing hair clips now that I see, and keychains, just all kinds of cute stuff. And the latest post that I see, or one of the latest posts that I see for their clothing line, their shirts in this posting say, Wifey, American Honey, Ballpark Mama. Stuff like that. I'm just waiting on them to come out with the dog mama stuff. Are there any daddy shirts on there? Any? Any at all? <laughs> Maybe you well, should I, mean, I want to know if I can get a shirt from them and get 25% off. Maybe you should have shared your feedback on the Maybe survey. I should have. Maybe I should Hey, my, my fault, ladies and gentlemen. My fault. <laughs> If you go and check out their page and see some stuff that you like, which, by the way, I've recently placed an order for a couple sets of earrings that are beautiful. Like you. Oh, thanks. Thanks. It's an avocado. Thanks. (laughs) But I recently ordered some earrings from them. I haven't got them yet, but I can't wait to get them because the last set of earrings that I ordered from them, they are one of my favorite pairs. I love them so much. But... If you give them a checkout and you find something that you like too and you place an order, if you message them your order and use code word WEIRDSIDE, you can get 15, that is 1-5% off your order. Our next local business that we want to give a shout out to is Sugar and Flower. Sugar! Y'all, I got some exciting news to share. Go ahead. Don't know if y'all saw our Facebook posting, but Taylor and I were the winners of the Golden Egg Raffle. She did a raffle for some high schools for college funds, and we donated to that. And in return, we got tickets for the raffle for the golden egg. And in the golden egg were a whole bunch of Reese's Cups in Easter egg format, and we got a $40 sugar and flour gift card, which will probably be gone by next week. Oh, hell yeah. But, y'all, I'm telling you, if you are wanting to try a new local restaurant that has 
coffee, sweets, and treats, delicious breakfast and lunch. Check out Sugar and Flour. They got some good treats and some good sweets, and it's all good to eat. (laughs) Absolutely. They recently had, honestly, I think it's my favorite, and it's a month sip. Cine Roll Ice Cold Brew. Unfortunately, now that it's May, it is gone for now, but... Mon is here year round. The salted caramel ice brew deluxe. Yep. They all Taylor has to do is walk in and they're like, salty caramel deluxe. They don't even ask me anymore. They just ring me up and I just give them money. <laughs> I could go in there right now and not say a word. They'd know what you want. Exactly. This most recent trip that we made to Sugar and Flour, we brought my best DT with us. It was his first time visiting the shop and he tried the caramel frappuccino and he was talking about how delicious it was like pretty much all day after he had it damn right so it's definitely worth it give them a check out i will post links to both businesses in our description and we'll return to the show take a walk on the weird side take a walk on the weird side access will also do some safety checks follow up and aftercare to be arranged with counseling center at virginia tech medications none that is so weird yeah, once again, I mean, I know they have no baseline and this is their initial consult, but essentially this was just paperwork from his one-time evaluation. But on December 14th, 2005, Cho was released. After he was released, and on the same day, Virginia Special Justice Paul Barnett ordered outpatient treatment. This order was never enforced. How? Essentially, no one claimed this responsibility. NRBCS claims that its facility was never named in the court order for mental health treatment. Christopher Flynn, director of Cook Counseling Center at Virginia Tech, also claims that the order did not specify them for treatment. He says, quote, When a court gives a mandatory order that someone get outpatient treatment, that order is to the individual, not an agency. The one responsible for ensuring that the mentally ill person receives help in those sort of cases is the mentally ill person. How do we feel about this statement? That makes no sense. Because it all one person has to do is admit, well, I don't have anything wrong with me. I don't have to go. Mm-hmm. They don't have to go. Mm-hmm. You've got all these agencies pointing the finger at each other. Well, it's not my job. This, in my opinion, is the key element of how we got to the shooting. Mm-hmm. Because nobody enforced that Cho went to his court-ordered outpatient treatment. I understand what this guy from Cook Counseling Center is saying, but on the other hand, again, I'm not a mental health expert, but if you had someone who was TDO'd, and essentially that's kind of, a that's basically a court order for somebody to go get mentally evaluated. I feel like to assume that the patient is going to have responsibility for that themselves, I feel like part of that is just not realistic. And any friends of mine and you weird side weirdos out there who is listening to this podcast and you guys are mental health professionals or are trained in mental health and disagree with my statement please please educate us because to me I just don't understand I don't understand it either like I said if, if he doesn't want to go who's going to make him that's exactly the he, point he, he already established he didn't even acknowledge that he had any the mutism or the anxiety. He already denied it. He can just be like, I'm got it. Right. Doesn't have to go. Technically, when you're evaluated mentally and you have to answer questions, like you can say whatever you want to say. How often do we see 
in films and just here in general, people saying comments like, well, I know exactly what to say to get them off my back or I know what to say to get this or to get that. True. It's very true. It's subjective info. And it's just so sad because this is how we fell through the cracks. No one was held responsible for him. Except him himself. Except himself, which obviously that did not hold up. That didn't hold up. That did not work. Since no facility or agency was held responsible, Cho obviously did not ensure his treatment. And honestly, I don't, he didn't care. I really don't think he even cared. I don't think he did either. No. Virginia law requires community service boards to recommend a specific course of treatment and programs for mental health patients and monitor the person's compliance. Virginia law mandates for the court to bring an individual back if a person fails to comply with a court order to see mental health treatment as outpatient. Chow was never summoned to court. They didn't want to bring him back. I don't think they cared. They didn't follow up with that either. I hate to say it, I don't want to be insensitive about it, because it would be really hard if you knew that you were involved with the mental health aspect of this case. And you dropped the ball. And it fell through the cracks. That'd be something you'd have to live with the rest of your life, but... They didn't have anyone follow up on it, essentially is what it is. That that is very sad. Yeah. Some professor perspectives from Cho. This is also another report that was accessible from the FBI. The names in this are anonymous, and this report was written on March 18th, 2007. It says, quote, in 2005, Professor X, another English professor, had Cho as a student in a poetry class she was instructing. Cho took pictures under his desk with his cell phone of female students in this class. Cho was confronted about this but was not reprimanded. Cho then wrote an angry piece against unnamed students in the class. According to Professor X, Cho later told Professor X that it was completely fictional. Professor X later stated that she would quit if Cho was not immediately removed from her class. Professor X contacted Virginia Tech Police immediately and the counseling department, but he was told, but was told that nothing could be done because there was no specific threat. Professor X then taught Cho on a one-on-one basis. Cho was one of the, quote, least talkative students that she had ever taught. He wore sunglasses and a cap inside at all times. During his time at Virginia Tech, numerous faculty members have complained about Cho, including his playwright teacher and creative writing instructor. During creative writing class, Cho often wrote about killing people. End quote. What was Cho going to school for? Writing? Remember, he was an English major. He was an English major. Okay, I didn't know. I didn't remember that. If you've got all these teachers, you name, like obviously maybe not all of them, but if you have a significant amount of faculty coming to you saying, hey, Someone really needs to talk to this boy. And everybody just kind of shrugs and points the finger like, it's not really a threat. It wasn't really our job. That's just mind-blowing to me. Right. So I'm getting ready to talk about some more examples of teachers noticing or professors noticing some issues with Cho. So we had already talked about the mental health TDO, but we're backing up just a hair talking about the impact and the signs that he showed. And the impact that he left on the professors just from him being a student in their classes. Here's another email that was, this is the actual email. It was written on Friday, February 10th, 2006. Lucinda Roy. Lucinda Roy was one of Cho's professors and she also wrote a book about her experience with Cho. And it was 
a very good read. I highly recommend it. I will be sure to mention the title in our description. But the subject line of this email is concern about a student, Lucinda. Cho is a student in my 3704. He's an English major and a junior. He can't or won't talk. Not when in class, not when called on in class. This is pretty clearly tough for him and not even on one-to-one. When I spoke to him about this, he literally made no sound. The most I could get him to do was nod, and this was barely perceptible. I then asked him to tell me what's up in an email. He didn't do this. I emailed him, and his response was, quote, I don't know. I have trouble talking. I don't know. I emailed again and again, told him that, minus any conversation, it would be almost impossible for him to pass the course. His response was that he'd try to talk. Is his name familiar? What should I do in a case like this? Bob. So, here we're having signs. Clearly, these professors are not aware at this point in time, but this is a clear representation of his mutism. Yeah. Selective mutism. Again, like, what? I don't know what it's like to be a teacher, but wouldn't it be a little weird for you to call on a student or, or ever try to have a conversation and they just look at you and just stare at you? I, I hate to say it like this, but honestly, it would creep me out. That's, that's, that's very strange. Very, that's very strange. Very strange. Here's another email that was written on September 6, 2006. It is to a man named Fred. I'm going to butcher that word. Just try your best. <laughs> Fred Diaguer. Diaguer. <laughs> the subject line says, problem student. This email reads, Fred and Nancy, parentheses, and with the CC to Carolyn, just to be sure I'm addressing all the right people. I'm writing to help in dealing with Cho, a student in my advanced fiction writing workshop. I know Fred has had him in an independent study, or so I've been told, and I've heard secondhand about Cho's history with Nikki. He was in my contemporary fiction class last semester and didn't say a word, but it was a large class, he tested well, and he did fair work. I did ask him to come in and talk to me, but he never did. However, the other students weren't bothered by him, simply because the class was fairly large and he was effectively invisible. This semester, however, he is in a class of 14 students, and the majority are quiet, shy people, and it is a workshop. He's extremely visible, and if you, Fred, have dealt with him, you know that he is not simply shy and quiet. There is something else going on. At any rate, he is scheduled to come to my office at 2 p.m. today. Whether he will or not, I don't know. Bob Hycock, who also had him in class, asked him to come in as well, and he never did. I really need assistance in figuring out how to help this student from disturbing his teeny sensitive class, in which it is normal for me to directly ask each student to say something during every period. When I ask Cho, he cannot even say pass, which I have offered as one alternative. He cannot even make eye contact. Once again, where did we hear this before? Family members in early ages. You are 100% ages. right. He won't even look at them? No. But like continuing, he just doesn't even acknowledge their existence. No. Yeah. But continuing in this email, the majority of the grade is determined by the writing, not by oral class participation, and yet oral class participation makes or breaks the class. I'm not sure what is fair in dealing with him. Help. If either of you can suggest anything, please call me at home this morning. He writes his number down. Otherwise, I will be in my office by 1 p.m. today. I would greatly appreciate your wisdom before 2 p.m. should Cho show up. If he does come, chances are the only communication I will get from him is a barely perceptible nod, so I need to be prepared to do most of the talking. If either of you would like to be present at this interview, should it occur, you are certainly invited. Finally, what is also disturbing is that Cho apparently is a senior taking upper division classes, but in at least three classes that I know of, if he has spoken at all, 
It has not been more than one sentence. I think we need to address this, that we can offer graduation to an English major who does not speak more than a sentence of English during his in-major classes. Thanks for whatever you can offer. That's very weird that, again, he's an English major and he doesn't talk? Yeah, barely talks. Barely talks. Yeah. That's very creepy. I'm not even trying to be weird about it, but that's very creepy. It's very disturbing. Yeah, and reading all these, like, these teachers are really trying to, how can we help you? They're, They're trying to come up with a plan to help him. But he did make a good point. How do we pass somebody that's a senior in English major that hasn't spoken a sentence? Exactly. I mean, it's a very valid question. That is that is a very good question. I, I just think it's ominous. 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 That's maybe? a really good word to ominous. use. Ominous. Like, and I really, I, like, I, I even hate to say that, but it's kind of true. Yeah, it is. I'm going to be reading now. Those were some emails that were accessible through FBI. And if anybody wants to go check out these emails, again, like Hannah said, the FBI uh, actually released them to the public. So if anybody wants to take some time, go check them out. Just sitting here reading it with Hannah was uh, really creepy. (laughs) Yeah, it's very creepy. Not uh, not trying to be weird or anything. (laughs) Here's a student account from someone who I think was a classmate of Cho's. This is an incident report, and it says, and this is only an excerpt of it, so I'm not reading the entire report, but it says, quote, It was then that I told Cho that some of the others in the class were a little concerned with his writing. Cho seemed to get a kick out of that because he suddenly had a smile where only a grin existed before. I told him that some people were talking about him before class, talking about he was a little strange acting, and with this play of his, some other students joked about him being a charter member of the Trenchcoat Mafia. Pausing right here for a second. To me, that seems like a similarity with Columbine. Because didn't, didn't you say earlier he uh, kind of, I wouldn't say uh, looked up to them, but was really fascinated by them? Yes, because also Eric Harris and Dylan Claybold, they were also rumored to be part of the trench coat mafia. But they, they ended it wasn't true. But here we again, we're seeing Cho being compared or introduced to Columbine somehow like a related somehow Ooh, that's weird yeah but again i don't think that even with Cho, why this is, is this is, is this a teacher telling him this this is an incident report written by another person on campus so continuing into this report cho wondered what that was so i told him about the whole littleton colorado school shooting well if i had just finished reading the next sentence that would have beat me to <laughs> i beat the sentence he seemed intrigued by my words. We talked a little more about, quote, sticking it to the man, end quote, and how good it feels to break things sometimes. I used to steal cars and smash them into buildings. Cho mentioned he liked to hurt things. I didn't ask any more questions. After that day, I thought differently about Cho. I thought I might read about him in the paper one day and not for a good reason. And then it happened. All over the news, school shooting at Virginia Tech. That just gives me so. Chills. So this is this is another student yes. writing this. Yes, I think these Why are all. Would someone tell him that? Like, hey, buddy, you you know your classmates are saying you're a weird guy. You know, really thinking you're a weird person and they really don't want to be around you. Why would you tell them that? Why would you tell him that? I don't even know. That was not a good idea. 
No, I mean, maybe someone was just trying to look out for him and be like, hey, just a heads up. People are in class think that you're a bit odd. Do you think he really was talking to Cho about, like, you know, Cho said he likes to hurt things. I definitely would have cut cut the conversation right there. But he said he kept going. Mm-hmm. Like, I wouldn't be having that conversation. Or do you think maybe if he continued the conversation, Cho would like him? I don't know. To be honest with you, I really don't know. I, I, I don't do think Cho cared. I think that he did not like people. And I think him hearing that people found him odd or disturbing and because of that probably wanted to stay away from him. I think he he liked that. I think he maybe got a high off of that. Yeah. That's just my own opinion. Don't really know that for certain, but that's just a guess. Here is a poem. Poem? That Cho wrote entitled A Boy Named Loser. This is just one of the many disturbing writings that he has done. But this will give you a good idea. Remember how I said earlier when I read that one short story he wrote about the guy having a girlfriend and and all this stuff. But it was so all over the place. I can't really, I couldn't even really think of what it was mainly about. Uh Yeah, so this poem is called A Boy Named Loser. Cho's poem says, A boy named Loser walks off the sidewalk, shudders into his house, and lays his weary head to sleep and dream. In his dream, he lives two lives, because in this world he has no life. No class, no friends, just a moron in this world. During its long hours in the real world, it's no surprise he is loser. Everyone knows, too bad, they say, only if he had a life. Under the bright, cruel sun, he holds his feet into his house, thinks about the two other lives, keeps on dreaming, daydream. What to do, what to say, but dream. That's what losers do in this world, where normal guys live their happy lives, worry-free and be themselves. Unlike loser, a normal guy throws parties at his house, but no loser, he has no life. Be happy, be normal, get a life, he says to himself. He can only end this dream. In loser's little mind, he brings over a girl to this house. Only if he could do that in this real world. Loser. What can I say? That's what losers do. Loser. Only if loser could live his lives. Something loser can't ever do. Lives those lives and be normal and actually have a life. You know why he can't do it? He's loser. With everything he longs for, all he can do is dream. Trapped in this world, in this wronged world. Nothing to do but drag his heavy feet back into the house. All alone in his little house, he likes to think he's living his lives in his own safe little world. No one tells him, loser, get a life. No one gives him the hand gesture in his dream. No one calls him, loser. Darn straight, this boy really is loser. Loser with no life. And he knows it. But he, parentheses, what can he do? Likes to live in his pathetic dream, drowning down in his little quirky house anyway. My God, what a loser. I noticed, now obviously they can't see it, but when I'm looking at it, he, when he says loser, it's in all caps. Every single time it's mentioned. Every time it's, every time the word loser is there, it's in all caps. And you notice he keeps talking about lives, like in plural. To me, in my opinion, I think this is a representation of the two, the hidden side representing his desires for this violence and hate. I agree with you on that. Yeah. But as you guys can kind of see, it's a little, you can understand in this one anyway, the underall theme of it, but it's kind of all over the place. It was very all over the place. 
Yeah, and that's how pretty much all the stuff is. Do you is. think he perceived himself to be a loser? I think he did. I think he disliked himself, and I think that maybe is another reason why he harbored so much violence. It honestly could be, because when I was reading that, it sounded like he was half telling a story, half talking about himself. Yeah. Like a little bit. That's how, that's how I interpreted it, too. But, yeah, so now that we've read a couple of professor emails showing concern, then we read excerpts from an incident report from another classmate of Cho's, or I don't know if he was in class with him or he was a person in his dorm. I don't know, some, some kind of relation to him and the impact he left on them. I read to you a poem that Cho wrote. You guys can get a pretty clear image if you haven't already. All this combined, no enforcement for going to outpatient therapy. Cho begins preparing for the shooting. On February 9th, Cho purchased his first gun, a 22 caliber Walther P22 semi-automatic pistol. Now, I know nothing about guns. Could you tell us anything about this? A 22 is not a super strong caliber. A lot of people don't know this, but uh, this is just weird gun facts. 22s are actually not as powerful as you think. You know that saying, shoot them between the eyes? Yeah. That is actually not true. If you, there's a, it's very low, but there's a 10% chance that a 22 caliber bullet can bounce off your skull. Obviously, I'm not saying it's not deadly because obviously any bullet is, but it's not as powerful as the other one that he purchased. Which brings me to on March 13th, Cho purchased his second gun, a 9mm Glock 19 semi-automatic pistol. That's the dangerous one. Like, really dangerous. I'm pretty sure I have... I also own a Glock. Mine's a 40 caliber, I believe. Mm-hmm. And it can do a lot of damage. Just looking at semi-automatic on both of those. Yeah. And this Man, is... I'm not, not going to bring this... I'm, I don't stand... We're not getting into the, the politics. politics of this. But a lot of people's arguments of we should ban assault rifles. We should ban assault rifles. Shootings won't happen. Virginia Tech is the one exception to this because he didn't use high caliber. He didn't use an AK-47. He didn't use these strong, powerful, long-range guns. He bought handguns. I was going to say, I think these are handguns. handguns. Even though I don't know. A lot of people use Virginia Tech as an argument to why it's not necessarily the caliber or how powerful the gun is entire argument. They use it as it's the person behind it. Yeah, I mean, I was going to say, I don't know anything about guns, but I do know that these were two handguns. These, they are, these are handguns. These weren't like assault rifles, machine guns, or yeah. whatever the heck. So, you know, if you ban assault rifles, well, you that's good, can. but the problem is one of the most deadly, if not the most deadly shooting in American history was not done with them. Yeah, and handguns. just throwing that out there again, it's not, we're, we're not stating opinions, we're just stating observations yeah. and thoughts that we've had. But Cho was successful in buying these guns because, one, he was not involuntarily committed as inpatient. So technically, he was able to legally buy a gun under Virginia law. Now, my question, though, is where he had that TDO ordered. I thought that was considered inpatient, but maybe because before he had the TDO order, I think he had to agree to it in this scenario. So that Mm -hmm. wouldn't make it involuntarily. And when he was discharged, his conditions were he had to do outpatient therapy. But the second reason why he could get a hold of these guns is that he did not disclose on the background questionnaire that he was court ordered for him to undergo mental health outpatient treatment. 
again, leading back to they put it up to him as his own responsibility to follow up with this stuff. And again, it was technically his responsibility to put it on there. And that's not fair because obviously he didn't take it. And who would? If who you would? had that kind of mind, no, you wouldn't be honest about that. No, he's not going to go in there. Well, yeah, 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 put this on there. You exactly. Know, I had this happen to me. He's not going to put that on no, there. He's not going to be honest if about that. What, if what he's planning, no, he's not going to do that. Another thing to mention is that in preparation for the Virginia Tech shooting, Cho trained at least three different times at a gun range in Roanoke before the massacre actually occurred. So this will conclude part one. As you guys probably, or maybe you can't tell, but this topic, I'm not going to lie to you guys, has been a little draining because it's just so dark in preparation for research on this and discussing it. it, it it's a little tough, I'm not going to lie. Part two, we will be discussing the actual shooting and the aftermath of the shooting. Mm -hmm. But my biggest takeaway from learning about everything up until the shooting, for me personally, like we kind of said in the beginning of the episode, this just screams mental health issues and lack of treatment. Absolutely. And again, not saying that every person with a mental health issue is going to go out and be a mass shooter, but... We'll discuss more in the aftermath about this aspect of this crime, but clearly he had some problems, and clearly people knew he had some problems, too. Absolutely. And I will say this, too, in my opinion. If someone is this disturbed and has this many problems, can you hold him responsible for taking care of himself? That's the question. Not blaming other people for what he did, but the question is, can you honestly, do you honestly think that he's going to hold himself accountable and do what he's supposed to do? This might be a little controversial, but I believe it is both responsibilities because it is slightly because your responsibility to take care of yourself, just being a person. But obviously not everybody is going to do that. We're all humans. We all have flaws. It is the system's job to then step in and help people when they need help. And Cho clearly needed help. And they they dropped the ball. Yeah. I mean, they really did. So it, I can I can see it can go both ways. I think yeah. it, it goes a little bit of both ways. I think that's very fair. Because it, Cho didn't want help, but he could have got help. The, it, it was there. Yeah, you know? I mean, it was clearly it. there. And it was the system's job to make him go do it. And it was and also the system's it. job to bring him back to the court systems and make him get treatment if he did not. And it was also, you know, when you have a lot of t teachers saying there's something up with this kid, we need to get Multiple him help. professors, we not just one. We need to get him help. Not that he was, if, I feel like if maybe if they had got him a little bit of help, I'm not saying a lot of things would have changed. We don't know that. You never know that. But no. definitely it it might have improved certain things in Cho's life. We don't know. Is, is it possible? Yes. I had mentioned earlier in the episode a recommended reading, and I wanted to just bring them up again. The two books that I have personally read up pertaining to the Virginia Tech massacre are very impactful, and they were great reads. The first book is Shooter Down, the dramatic untold story of the police response to the Virginia Tech massacre by John Again, probably going to butcher his name. Giduk, G-I-D-U-C-K. I think that was, if I could be wrong, but I'm pretty sure he was one of the officers responding to the shooting itself. And it's it's very 
emotional. And also emotional is the other recommended reading. This was the one that I had referred to earlier on in the episode, but this one's called No Right to Remain Silent by Lucinda Roy. She was one of the English professors that worked with Cho. The impression that I got, she was like the only professor who really cared about going out of her way to get Cho the help that he needed to pass her class. She was one of the professors who had offered him one-on-one class time, and she did this in her own time, and that kind of was like a special thing that she did just because she wanted him to succeed. No other professor was comfortable being one-on-one with Cho, and I think I remember reading that in her book, but yeah, definitely check those two out if you're interested on reading more in depth about the Virginia Tech Massacre. Guys, we just want everyone to understand, and I mean, most people I don't think would have an issue with understanding this concept, but violence is not okay. Absolutely not. Now, it's normal to be angry with people. It's normal to not want to be around people. It's normal to have negative feelings towards others at times, but to have thoughts of hurting people, that's not normal. To have plans to hurt people, that is not normal. To harbor so much hate towards people to the point where you really consider if you're going to act on that or not, that is not normal. If you or anyone has thoughts of hurting others or yourself, it is okay to ask for help. We all have struggles in life, and it is okay to ask for help. And if you know anybody or yourself are having these problems, talk to someone. I'm sure you can find anyone to talk to. Yes. Actually, with the mention of that, from the Virginia Healthcare Foundation, they have a website that's actually, you can find a lot of useful information on. A lot of complaints that I hear from people who would like to get mental health help is, or I don't have insurance, so I can't get help. Well, On this website, there's actually a lot of different options, even for people who are not insured. I will share the link to this in the description, but just from reading off their website from Virginia Healthcare Foundation, it says, The following Virginia community resources exist to help individuals and families coping with the challenges of mental illness. They have a few different options on here. They have the community service boards, which they describe as local government agencies responsible for the delivery of community-based mental health, mental retardation, and substance abuse services, emergency services, and case management management are required services and are usually provided to individuals with serious mental illness. Find your local one. They have a link for that. Another one they post is Psychology Today. They describe it as a host that lists licensed behavioral health providers throughout Virginia with bios and contact info. You can sort by insurance network, type of therapy provided, location, language, age served, and more. Another option they list on here is the Mental Health America of Virginia. Mental Health America of Virginia has affiliates statewide working to advance policies that prevent mental illness and assure the proper care and treatment of Virginians with mental illness. The MHAV website shares resources and information as well as the number for a peer-run warm line. The warm line provides support in both English and Spanish and can be reached by call or text. Find your local one and they got a link for that. Another option they have on here is 211 Virginia, which provides links to mental health service providers by zip code, by region, or statewide. Another one they promote is the Frontline Wellness Virginia website, which shares crisis resources, self-care, and mental wellness tips and information about counseling options for frontline healthcare workers. Another option they have on here is for children needing mental health services. The Virginia Mental Health Access Program provides mental health referral and care navigation services in some regions of the state. They have a link for regional contact information. And the very first thing before they list all these options, it says looking for somewhere to turn for behavioral health care. It can be particularly hard to find if you're uninsured, but they proceed to list all these options. So 
there are options out there, guys. And again, you know, it, it is totally normal to have negative feelings from time to time. And I think honestly, we'd be amazed at how many people do have mental health struggles. But once again, having feelings and thoughts of physically harming other people, that is not normal. Please talk to somebody. Yes, please seek help. Yes. Thanks again for listening, guys. If we've taken anything away from this episode, it's that mental health should be one of the top priorities. Absolutely. I 100% agree with you on that. Join us in a couple weeks for episode two. Thanks for listening. I'm Hannah. And I'm Taylor. And together we are Weird Weird Side Side Podcast. Podcast.